How's everybody? Good? All right. Are you looking forward to a day off tomorrow? All right. That means you're required to stay awake during the sermon. You can sleep in tomorrow. That you can do. I want to take a minute before we get started to point out a couple things in your bulletin. Uh, first of all is this. There's an insert in every bulletin that looks like this. It says grace groups on it. If you don't know what grace groups are, come and see one of the leaders, somebody you saw on the platform today or somebody that you know, uh, and find out uh, how to get involved in a grace group. Here's the way you sign up. Uh, you fill out this sheet. If you're already in a group and you don't need to make any changes, you do nothing. You will stay in the group you were in. No changes will be made. If, however, um, you want to start a new group and you're not in a group, you fill this out. What night are you available? Where are you willing to go? That sort of stuff's on this sheet. Um, and you drop it in the connect card boxes on the wall on your way out. Uh, we start not this week, but the following week. So after next Sunday, we're back into grace groups for the fall. So this is your chance to get signed up. Please get signed up. The other thing you need to know is that there's some shuffling of the deck going on uh, because the number of people who need groups is growing and people are changing what night they're available and what house they can go to and all that. So there's a lot of changing going on with grace groups this fall. So don't be shocked if you get a call from your grace group leader saying, hey, um, are you available on this other night or something like that? Because we're going to be moving some people in and out of groups to get some new people into groups. So there's a lot going on. There'll be some new leaders. So pay close attention. Fill this out. Let us know when you're available. Please, please do that because otherwise uh, you'll miss it. And if you miss it, it's, it's a gigantic piece of the puzzle of what it's like to grow in Christ at Grace Fellowship. Um, the other thing I want to point out to you is in your bulletin, there is an announcement. It says Mend of Summer. That is the men's ministry end of summer event. Um, it says September 13th. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Do not believe it. Okay. It is September 7th, which is this coming Saturday. All right. So you need, could somebody usher this guy out? He's being rather disruptive. Um, <laughs> So there's, uh, you can go on our website and find out more about that. You can go on the Church Center app, get signed up, find out more about that. All the details are there, but there's a mess up in the bulletin. We accidentally put the 13th when we should have put the 7th. My fault, my bad. So please uh, just know, <laughs> is this going to continue during the sermon? <laughs> wow, good help is hard to find. So anyway, that's what you need to know. This Saturday, the 7th, don't come on the 13th, come on the 7th. Uh, listen, if you are an adult male, this is for you. I promise you, you will enjoy it. It's going to be fun. It's going to be encouraging. Uh, it's going to be a lot of food. It's going to be a lot of hanging out and getting to know guys. So please come and be a part of it. It's a great way, especially if you're new around here, to get involved and get to know some people. So please come and, and be involved in that, all right? Um, we started last week a new series of messages on money called Dollars and Cents. And uh, it was so interesting this week because it just happened this way. There was two or three people who I was dealing with this week who were outside of the church, friends and, and people that I know. Uh, and, and they all asked me, um, so what are you preaching on these days? And that, by the way, that's a dangerous thing to ask a preacher over lunch because you have to listen to a whole sermon. But um, 
I told them, hey, I just started a new series on money, and all of them responded exactly the same way, which was, oh, that is really interesting. And I wasn't sure exactly how to take that. Um, but what I dis- decided to take out of that is that this is a universally interesting topic. Everybody cares about money. Everybody's dealing with it. Everybody needs to know what to do with it. Everybody is interested in finding out how to get more of it, how to use it, what to do with it, how to invest it. Everybody's interested in money. It is a universally interesting topic. And people are all over the place when it comes to money. In this room, whoever's watching this on our, on our live stream, who's listening to the podcast all over the world there, no matter, it doesn't matter where you are or who you are, money is a big issue for you. And we're all over the place financially. There are people, no doubt, in this room who are doing just fine financially. Who, by doing fine, what I mean is, like, they don't have to stop and think, if someone invites them out to dinner, they don't have to stop and think, gosh, could we afford that this week? Or um, they don't have to stop and think, is there going to be enough money to put gas in the tank to get through the week? Or are we going to get the rent paid on time? There's a lot of people who are just really pretty comfortable when it comes to money. Everything that they need is kind of paid for and they're doing just fine. And, and for people like that, the challenge is not so much worrying about is there going to be enough money, but thinking about well, how do I handle the money that I have? Then there are other people for whom you have no idea where your next meal is coming from. You don't know for sure if you're going to have a roof over your head. It's not a question of whether you can afford to go out to dinner tonight. It's a question of whether you're going to have dinner tonight. And that's true of people in our community, in our neighborhood. It's possibly, very possibly true of people sitting in this room right now that are really, really struggling and really not sure where their next meal is coming from or if they're going to have a roof over their head tomorrow. I got a communication uh, this just this morning, uh, um, an e e-newsletter from a friend in Zimbabwe, and she was telling us about the situation there, and the situation in Zimbabwe is deteriorating at a, at a breakneck speed. The economy has crashed completely. There is no resources available. They really don't even know what kind of money to use. They used to use the American dollar, but now they're not allowed to. There's these new kinds of currency that nobody has, and nobody knows how to get, and nobody's using. People are bartering for this and that, and she said that the average person gets up, and they have to walk maybe five or ten miles with a couple of empty buckets to a water hole where they will stand in line for a very long time to get a couple of buckets of water so they can walk another five or ten miles back to their village and provide water for their family that morning and then do it again in the evening and repeat that every day. So it doesn't matter where you are at financially, this stuff matters. It's important to us. And it, it, it hits all of us somewhere. So um, it's not just us who are interested in money. God is seriously interested in this topic of money in our lives. And his desire is to bless us and make us successful. Did you know that? 
Because sometimes when we think about God and money, we think, man, there's an offering plate coming around. There's a, there's a fundraising effort. God's always trying to get in my pocket one way or another. I just, I need to dispel this myth for anybody who has been fed a line of baloney about this. Here's what you need to know about our God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He ain't broke and he don't need your money. Okay? He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God is not sitting up there running his fingers through his beard going, oh no, how am I going to keep the lights on next month? That is not a problem for God. He is the source of all good things. He is not trying to squeeze money out of people because otherwise somehow he's not going to be able to pay for what he needs to pay for. That is not where God is coming from. And if you've received teaching that gave you the idea that if you don't somehow break your bank and give God as much money as you possibly can. God's will will never get done in this world. If you have received that teaching, I want to apologize to you because that is false teaching. That's not who our God is. We have short we have shortchanged God dramatically if that's how we see him. So we don't have to worry when we think about God wanting to talk to us about money. He is not trying to get in our pockets. He is not trying to keep us from being successful. God is trying to make us joyful. God is trying to give us provision. God is trying to make us successful. Amen? So let's start there. God's here to help you, not attack you. So last week, we dealt with the heart and money. And we talked about this issue of idolatry, that, that the love of money can be a root of all sorts of evil, and that when we actually give our hearts to money and material things, thinking that somehow that will fulfill us, we always come up brokenhearted with that. So we talked about the heart and money last week. This week, I want to talk about the mind and money. I want us to talk a little bit about our mindset when it comes to dealing with money, wealth, and material things. And to do that, I want to let Jesus speak into this issue, and he does so brilliantly in Matthew chapter 25. So I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. Find Matthew and then go to chapter 25, and we're going to pick it up in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Matthew 25 and 14. Jesus speaking, here he says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey, who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more but he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. 
And I was afraid, and I went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, that is the famous parable of the talents. You have heard it before. If you've never read it, you have heard about it, or you have at least heard the phrase, the parable of the talents. Um, And so we're going to dig into the parable of the talents a little bit today, and we're going to think about the parable of the talents. And, uh, And as we address this parable, I want you to think in terms of mindset, okay? In fact, I'm going to jump ahead here. I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to give you the Cliff's Notes version of this sermon right up front. I'm going to tell you what it is that God is trying to get through to you right up front, and then we'll circle back around and come back to it and see how Jesus brings us there. But here's the point that he is trying to get us to. If you're a Christian, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, there is something you should know about the material things of this world. Ephesians chapter 1 says this about every single Christian. You are a child of the king. You have been adopted by the king of kings and lord of lords, the one who owns everything, the one who created everything, the one who provides everything is your dad. That's what the scripture says. Ephesians 1 says you used to be on the outside looking in. You used to be a sinner, an enemy of Christ, and but because of the grace of God, salvation has been granted to you, and now you have been adopted, and you are called a daughter of the king. You have been adopted. You're called a son of the king. That is who you are. Stop thinking of yourself as a pauper. You are not a pauper. You are a prince. That's what the scripture teaches. And as a child of the king, when it comes to material blessings of this life on earth, God wants you to know that as a child of the king, you own absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Let's start with our mindset set in the right place. You are a child of the king. That means you have this inheritance. That means that that inheritance is already yours and can never be taken away. The God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills is your dad, and therefore your inheritance is richer than you can ever imagine, and it has very little, if anything, to do with earthly things. So stop thinking of yourself as an owner. God owns it all. But he has entrusted a certain amount of what he owns into your care for you to manage for his purposes and for his glory. That's God's mindset when it comes to the material things of this world, and that needs to be our mindset as well. But before you deal with the question of the what of money, you have to deal first with the question of the who of your identity. That's why I wanted to point out you're a child of the king. And as a child of the king, there's all these different metaphors that are used for us in scripture. On the one hand, we're called a child of the king. On the other hand, we're called a slave. He he uses the phrase steward to describe us. 
he, he, he talks about us in the terms of being a manager. He talks about us in terms of being servants. But, but most interestingly in this passage, he talks about these stewards as slaves. And if we're going to talk about slavery, we need to dispel some myths and understand what we're talking about. Because when you hear the word slave, when I hear the word slave, we automatically have a negative connotation. Everything we know about slavery is about evil, it's about injustice, it's about robbing people of their dignity, the idea of one human being owning another human being and forcing that person to work for them is absolutely a deplorable idea, and the Bible stands firmly against it, and we need to know that. At the same time, over and over and over and over again in Scripture, he says that his followers are his slaves. And so we got this negative connotation in our mind of what it means to be a slave, and we have to realize that that connotation of slavery that you have in your mind has less to do with slaves and more to do with bad masters, right? It's one thing to be a slave to a human master because a human master is sinful, he is selfish, he is unloving, he is abusive, right? But God is not like that. So when God calls us to be his slaves, he is basically explaining how it is. Let me read this to you. You don't have to turn there, um, but let me read this to you real quick in the book of Romans. We all know, or many of us know, there's a famous verse at the end of Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? Well, the verses that lead up to that have to do with slavery. Listen to verse 20 of Romans 6. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying, you are already a slave, there are no non-slaves. So when he's using this phrase, slavery, he's not talking about, hey, you're going to change your, your stature from a free person to a slave. What he's saying is you're going to change your master from an evil taskmaster to a loving God because you're already a slave. We, we sing that song where we talk about, I am no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. Being set free from sin makes me enslaved to God. He says you've just changed your master. And that's what happens when you come into a relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says this. You are not your own, but you have been bought with a price. What is that price that you were bought with? The blood of Christ. That's a high price. That speaks to your value in God's eyes, right? You have been bought with a price, therefore you are not your own. Galatians 2.20 says, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's no longer I who live, it's Christ who lives within me. I exchange my life for His. So get used to the idea that you are a slave to something. The question is, who or what? will be your master. 
And he's saying that when you come to Christ, you don't just get to come to Christ, shake his hand and receive his gifts, but you actually become his slave. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And as we deal with um, money and things, we have to do it as stewards, not owners, because everything is passing through our hands. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Theologians talk about it using the Latin term ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Out of nothing, everything. God created everything out of nothing. He didn't borrow any resources. He didn't take out a building loan. He didn't find a way to get something from somebody else that he could turn into something more valuable. Out of nothing, God created everything, and therefore, God is the owner of everything. And when he created everything, he created this incredible garden, and right smack in the middle of the garden, but naked and penniless, he put Adam and Eve. And in their absolute abject poverty with nothing to give to him, he said, you have nothing but me, but you have dominion over everything. Take responsibility over all of this. It's not yours, it's mine, but you have dominion over it. I heard about a little six-year-old boy who had had just about enough of his parents' shenanigans. He had decided that being told no all the time was not his cup of tea. He had decided that his parents' rules were too strict for him. And once he had had enough of his mom one Saturday, he decided, this is it, I'm done. I'm running away. So he went into the kitchen and he got one of those Ralph's uh, shopping bags and he went into his room and he looked and he said, okay, now that I'm gonna be living a life on the road, what do I need? I gotta take everything I need. So he took all the stuff that he needed. He took all of his Transformers, right? And he took all of his G.I. Joes and he took a half a granola bar that was sitting on the counter and a half a bottle of water that was there by it and he put all of that along with this little, um, you know, like a little Game Boy video game thing that he didn't want to be without and he stuck all of that in this bag and tied it up and he marched out onto the porch right out the front door and when he got out the front door he looked and he saw the traffic just crossing in front of his house and he sort of scratched his head and said man it looks dangerous out there I should think about this So he sat down on the porch and began to think about and make his strategy for how he was going to do this. And and that's when he noticed his mother coming out the front door. And she said, what are you doing? And he said, I've had enough. I'm running away. And she said, oh, really? And he said, I'm not kidding. I'm really running away. And she said, well, then go ahead. There's the street. And he said, I'll do it. And she said, I know, go go right ahead. It's right over there. There's the street. And he goes, I really will do it. And she said, really, go ahead. Here's the thing, though. What's in the bag? And he opened the bag and he showed her. And she said, well, before you go, then you're going to have to give me those Transformers because I bought those. And and you're going to have to give me those G.I. Joes and all your little army men. And I'm going to need that granola bar and that cup of water. And the little digital thing, that's mine too. And come to think of it, that t-shirt you're wearing, I bought that too, take that off. (laughs) And those jeans you got on and shoes, those come too, I paid for those. In fact, give me the underoos because I paid for all this stuff. (laughs) And having thought about the idea of going out into the world naked and without anything and trying to make his own way, he thought better of it and went back into his room. But before he left, his mother stopped him and put her hand on his shoulder and said, honey, I gotta tell you something. 
I love you with every fiber of my being, but everything you have is mine. (laughs) And if you want to have a successful life, you're going to have to learn to live it my way. See, we have this idea sometimes that we can do it alone. We can do it on our own. We do better without God. We have our own plan. We have our own way. We have to stop and be reminded everything we have comes from Him. Your good mind, it came from Him. Your, your health, it came from Him. Your experience and opportunity and education, it came from him. All of your giftedness came from him. All of your resources came from him. So this idea that I'm going to take control of my life, it's going to be my life, and I'm not going to live it any way anybody else tells me, is not an option because it's all from him. Back to the parable of the talents. Let's talk for a second about parables. Um, A parable is is a fictional story that is told to highlight or illustrate an actual reality, right? So have you, ever, <laughs> have you ever bought something at Ikea and then you bring it home and you have to put it together? If you ever, if you, <laughs> if you ever want to see me at my absolute worst, just send me a box from Ikea and tell me to put it together. If you sat and watched me do that, I promise you would go looking for another church next week. <laughs> you would say, I had no idea he was so fleshly minded. I have no, I didn't even know he knew those words, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I look at those instructions and I look at the pile of stuff and I just lose it, right? Great, great day in my life was the day I discovered YouTube instruction videos. You can just go on YouTube and type in how to put together and fill in the blank, and there's a hundred videos from a guy named Bubba telling you how to do it. (laughs) It is awesome. And you watch the video and you have the instructions, you're able to put it all together and eventually you have something that looks like the picture on the box, right? That's what I need. A parable is a YouTube instruction video. God gives us all these teachings in scripture and then Jesus comes along with these parables and goes, let me illustrate this for you so you see what it looks like in real life. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing this parable, right? And each parable teaches at least one major concept and the major concept that is taught in this parable, the big point, is a a word called stewardship. Stewardship. It's one of those Christianese words that get thrown around churches but not many other places. Stewardship, I'm going to define it for you. It's up on the screen. The biblical way of living which recognizes that everything in my control, my time, my talent, my treasures, is God's. That I am called to manage what he has entrusted to me for his purposes and for his glory. I know it's a long, uh, it's, it's a long definition. If you want it in your notes, take a picture of the screen with your phone. You'll have the whole thing. Um. Jesus designed the whole system in which we live. And basically what he's telling us in this parable is that we will do well to view ourselves as stewards of his creation rather than owners of our stuff. We will do well to view ourselves as stewards of his creation rather than owners of our stuff. When you think stewardship, think manager, right? 
okay, we're going to be done here in a few minutes. Your stomach is already starting to grumble. You're thinking, where am I going for uh, lunch afterwards, right? And you think, Chick-fil-A, but it's Sunday. (laughs) You can't go to Chick-fil-A. So you have to go to God's second favorite restaurant, which is In-N-Out, right? You go to In-N-Out. And when you go to In-N-Out, you come in, let's say you come into In-N-Out and it's crowded and busy and you see a table, it opens up, man. When you get into In-N-Out and a table opens up, you go for it, right? All Christianity is out the door. I need a seat. I got to eat a double-double, get out of my way. If I happen to knock a few old ladies over, that happens, right? So you head for the table, you get there, but they haven't any time to clean it. So you call and say, hey, I need to speak to the manager. My table's a mess. The manager comes out, right? He looks like everybody else. He's wearing white and he's wearing a red bib and a stupid hat, right? That's your in and out manager. Now, he can handle your problem for you, but here's the thing. He's not the owner. His job is to do in the restaurant what is in the owner's best interest, right? That's what he does. There's a difference between a manager and an owner. The owner of In-N-Out Burger is a lady by the name of Lindsay Snyder. She lives about a half a mile from here in Bradbury in a $20 million estate. And she's doing pretty well for herself. According to Forbes magazine, she is the youngest female billionaire in the world. She's doing well, right? So what that tells me is there are some managers at some in and outs that are doing things for her benefit. That's what God calls us to do as managers, or if you will, stewards of everything that belongs to him. We do it with his desires in mind. We do it with his benefit in mind, and he turns around and supports us in that process. So don't think of stewardship as one more thing that you have to do, one more rule that you have to follow. Think of it as seeing everything you're already doing in a totally different light. Is this for the glory of God? You have to start asking yourself. Is this what God wants me to do? Is this pleasing to God? Is this my best understanding from Scripture of God's will for my life? And and is this going to bring God honor and glory? That's the way a steward thinks. That's the way a manager thinks. And that's a whole different way than most of us naturally think. And the reason I'm beating this rather simple Uh, point to death is because no matter how simple this point is, and no matter how many times as Christians we have heard it, too many of us live practically as if our stuff is our stuff, and if we're supposed to use it with our interests in mind. And God says, as long as you're thinking that way, your mindset will be backwards. And as long as your mindset will be backwards, you will not be able to experience life abundantly when it comes to this issue of money. So let's get some big principles out of this um, parable of the talents. There's four big principles I want to point out. The first one is this thing that we're talking about already, which is ownership, the principle of ownership. In this story, there is obviously one owner, right? You have the three stewards and the one owner. And the owner goes away on a long trip. 
There's only one owner. I've been pounding that home already. Psalm 24, verse one. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Everything is his. There's only one owner. What that means is, to make it very personal for you, it means you don't own your money. You don't own your car. You don't own your kids. You don't own your marriage. You don't own your career. You don't own your clothes. You don't own your reputation. You don't own your time. Am I making my point clear? You don't own anything. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains. So when you get the ownership principle first, the other principles fall into place. Second principle is a principle of responsibility. He teaches us right here that we need to be responsible. Look at verse 14. If we go back to uh, Matthew 25. Sorry, I'm not there. Let me go back there. Matthew 25, verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. He entrusted his possessions to them. There was a certain responsibility given to them when they were handed these talents. So the, the, the principle of responsibility says, even though I don't own it, like the In-N-Out Burger manager, I'm responsible for it. Even though I don't own it, I'm responsible for it. He entrusted these things to him. By the way, by using this parable as our teaching tool, we can learn a big principle, which is God has entrusted some gigantic stuff to you and me. He has entrusted a lot to you, whether you realize it or not. The question that always comes up when you hear about the parable of the talents is, well, how much are we talking about here? I mean, how much is a talent worth in today's money? Well, that's a really hard question to answer because a talent is not a measurement of money. A talent is a measurement of weight. So basically, it depends whether you're talking about a talent of gold or a talent of silver or a talent of copper, which would have been the three big things that they, made, uh, that they used as money at that time. So are you talking about a talent of silver, which is the most common one? Because if you're talking about a talent of silver... Basically, a talent is about 71 pounds, okay? So one talent is 71 pounds of silver. In today's market, that's about 20 grand, okay? So one talent is about $20,000. So if you've heard this story told before and you said, so imagine that you had a dollar and you had, no, it's not like that. It's imagine that he comes up to you, gives you five talents of silver, that's $100,000. And he goes on his trip, says, manage this for me. If he gives you two talents, that's $40,000. Now, it very well could have been talents of gold. He doesn't say. If it's talents of gold, we're talking one talent, 1.7 million in today's economy. So if he gives you five talents, you're talking about eight and a half million dollars. He's placed in your hands, and he says, I want you to handle this for me. So he entrusted to them a tremendous amount of money. Whether it was silver or whether it was gold, it was a tremendous amount of money. And when we begin to realize that we've been entrusted with this, we better take it seriously. Now think about what you own. 
In today's economy, Southern California, if you go to buy a new car, you decide you're going to go down to the dealership and you're going to pick up a new car. I'm not talking about a fancy car. I'm not talking about an expensive car. I, I'm talking about the bottom of the barrel car with a stick shift and you know roll up windows and no air conditioning and no radio. That car, that car, just go shopping for a car today. You'll find that car is 20 grand, right? <laughs> That's what it costs today to buy a new car. That's to get in on the bottom floor. You can get 20 grand, you can buy a junky car, right? You want to buy a Lexus or a Cadillac or you want to buy a Mercedes-Benz or you want to buy a Lamborghini. It just keeps going up, doesn't it, right? So, but, but we're just, you know, humble folks here. So let's just say you spent 20 grand on your car, one talent, okay? That's been entrusted to you. How many of those talents are sitting in your driveway? That's what has been entrusted to you. And, and if you own a home in Southern California, do the math, right? And just think about all of the, your retirement accounts and, and your, your, you know, your boat or your, your vacation home or whatever it is that you happen to own. Those are talents. God's entrusted those to you, and they're worth a lot. So when God entrusts things like that to you, you have a responsibility as his steward to handle them, to manage those things with justice because he's a just God. You have a responsibility to manage those things with love because he's a loving God. You have a responsibility to manage those things with righteousness because he's a righteous God. So if you even just begin to recognize he owns everything and I am a steward, that makes me responsible to him for the way I handle all of this stuff It'll change the way that you use that which God gives you. Third big principle is accountability. The last several verses of this parable, we don't like at all. You know, therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. He's a wicked slave and he should be cast out to this place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, he's talking about real accountability. And by the way, don't get confused here. Don't take this to mean what it doesn't mean. He's talking here about the bigger picture. This is not that the guy was a bad money manager, therefore he goes to hell, okay? That's not the point. The point is, Jesus was not his Lord, therefore he goes to hell. He doesn't have a relationship with the master. That's why he is judged. That's why he is held accountable in that way. The day of reckoning, according to Scripture, is coming. There is going to be a day, and there's going to be a different kind of day. For those who don't know Jesus, the Scripture talks about the great white throne judgment. Those who do not know Jesus will come and have to stand before him. They will be judged for their sin, which is unforgiven sin, because they did not accept the grace of Jesus Christ in their lives, and they will be separated from God for all of eternity. That's what the Scripture says. Christians do not have to face the great white throne judgment. Hallelujah? Yeah. Because if it was about whether you're good enough, you ain't getting in, right? If it's about whether I am righteous enough, I have no chance. It's about the blood of Jesus. It's about the grace of God. It's about the relationship that we have with him and whether we have come under his authority and allowed him to be Lord of our lives. And if Jesus is Lord, you're a steward. So there's accountability. 
And the fourth principle is the principle of reward. We see it in verse 23. It says, uh, you are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Guys, there is a reward. There is a reward. These guys, it says, were entrusted with little. They were entrusted with a few things. They were entrusted with little, it says. Little? 8.5 million? Little? 100,000? That's not little. And yet, the point should not be lost on us. If that's what God calls little, and he says you will be rewarded with much, how much is much? How awesome is heaven? How great is it to be in the eternal love and grace and peace and joy of your Father? In, in fact, think about heaven. It's so impossible for us to get a picture of heaven. I don't know at all what heaven looks like. We get these little glimpses in Scripture. One of the glimpses tells us that in heaven, the streets are paved with what? Gold. I don't know if that's literal or figurative. I don't know what that means. And I also don't know if it's a way of saying that heaven is so great that in heaven they paved the streets with gold, or if it's a way of saying gold is so worthless that in heaven they paved the streets with it. But either way, we better start to appreciate what's available in heaven and stop loving gold. Amen? So, so he's trying to tell us there is an amazing reward waiting for us. Heaven has to be awesome. Now, let's wrap this up. Stewardship means not bondage, but freedom. Stewardship means freedom in your life. These first two stewards, they seem to understand that the stuff comes and goes, but the relationship with the master last forever. Let me say it another way. The money makes me rich. The master makes me wealthy. The money makes me rich. The master makes me wealthy. I get more from my relationship with Jesus than I do from my relationship with Jesus's stuff. And when you see yourself as a steward, you're able to have the freedom to now disassociate yourself from the stuff and associate yourself with the master. And that is a life changer because the owner of the stuff, the master, he is good. Amen? He is loving. Amen? He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is pure, he is gracious, and the list goes on and on and on. And he's saying, are you seriously going to want a relationship with stuff that rusts and burns and goes away, or do you want a relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords? Once you move away from a relationship to the stuff and you move into a relationship to the Lord, the bondage is gone. The chains are cut. That means less stress in your life, less anxiety, less fear, less drama of any kind. In Psalm 118, it says this, because I know the Lord, what can mere man do to me? 
It takes away all the fear. It takes away all the problems. It takes away all the pressure that comes with that. And it gives us instead more peace, more comfort, more rest, more joy, total freedom. When you finally disconnect from the stuff and you reconnect to the God who owns the stuff, you finally know true freedom. Has it ever occurred to you that perhaps the reason why you don't have material wealth is because what you do have and what you desire to have in addition to what you already have is coming between you and God. God is not anxious to put anything in your life that is going to come between you and him because he knows you'd be settling for the counterfeit instead of the real thing. When he saw the third guy didn't have the mindset of stewardship, the master took away even what he did have and gave it to the faithful steward. See, good, un good stewards understand that it is good news that they own nothing, <laughs> that that's actually good news. The faithful steward understood that. They reaped the rewards of good stewardship. The unfaithful steward never understood that. His whole motivation was fear. His whole motivation was selfishness. He saw the day he was entrusted with the master's wealth as a day of tragedy, not a day of blessing. He saw it as, a, as the first step toward trouble instead of the first step toward joy. He didn't trust his master. So he lived in fear and doubt and anxiety and shame and confusion and all that stuff. What a terrible way to live. We have to understand that when God made us stewards rather than owners, he was doing us a favor. When you realize that you don't own the stuff, you also realize you don't own the problems. Let it sink in. When you realize you don't own the stuff, you also learn that you don't own the problems. That is great news. If you are a landlord and you own a house and somebody is sending you a check every month for the rent, then that's wonderful, right? Hey, I have X amount of dollars coming in every month. Isn't this great? Until you get the call from the renter that says, the roof is leaking, right? The water heater broke. The air conditioning stopped. There's a, there's a crack in the foundation, right? When you get those calls, guess what? It's your responsibility. So let me give you a, a word of advice. It is always better to rent. <laughs> it is always easier to rent. Anybody who's a landlord in here would say amen to that. It is always easier to rent. Listen, when you're a renter and something breaks down, it is not your responsibility to fix it. It is just your responsibility to report it. They're asleep over there. <laughs> when you're a renter and you have something that breaks, it is not your responsibility to fix it. It is just your responsibility to get on your knees, fall on your face before the master and report it. It is his responsibility to fix it. 
Guys, listen. If you own the home and you get the call saying the roof is leaking, it doesn't matter that you were planning a vacation this summer. The 15 grand you were going to spend on your trip around the world, you are now going to spend on somebody else's roof leak. Because there's a contract, and the contract requires, by law, the owner fixes the problems. Guys, if you've entered into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the contract is signed in the blood of Christ. And you are not the owner, you are the renter, and he is required by virtue of his own nature to always provide for your needs. You don't have to fix it, you just have to report it. Amen? That is freedom. So what that does is it puts you in a place where, let's say your car breaks down. And, and you, you're, just, you're just getting by. And you need a new engine. Five grand just to get started on the job. And you know what you do? When you have a steward's mindset, you get to cry out to God and say, Jesus, your car is broken. <laughs> right? That's what you do. When you are a Christian and you're a steward and you're trying to raise up kids and your kids are going all sorts of crazy directions and they are on your last nerve, right? You get a cry out to Jesus and go, Jesus, those uncircumcised Philistine kids of yours, (laughs) fix them. And, And he says, I'll take responsibility for that. And when your career is going south, Lord, your career is going south. And he says, I'll take responsibility for that. It's his. So you get to unload it. Guys, let me just be vulnerable with you and, and honest for a second. When, when Paul talks about his um, burdens and all the difficulty that he went through in life, how he was whipped many times and beaten with rods and imprisoned and shipwrecked and all the stuff that he went through. Terrible, terrible stuff. And he gives us that whole list, right? And then he comes to the end of that list and he goes, and most of all, it's the, it's the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And, and it's, I get a lot of opportunities to speak to groups of pastors in training situations and And I talk to them about this all the time because pastors get this. There is a certain weight that comes in your concern for the people. And when you love the people that God has entrusted you to lead and you see that somebody's hospitalized, somebody else just died unexpectedly, somebody else just lost a job, somebody else's marriage is on the rocks, somebody's kids have gone wayward, and it just adds up and it adds up, and you see this person doesn't seem to be growing in Christ, and this person is caught up in sin, and you just, these are people that you love, that you love, and you pray for, and you get on your knees, and you cry out to God, and you go, God, help my people. God, please set my people free, and I pray those prayers for you all the time, And every now and then, God will tap me on the shoulder and just gently remind me by the Holy Spirit, hey, Doug, I hear your prayer, but just one thing, they're not your people. They're my people. Hey, Doug, I care a lot about Grace Fellowship, but let me just tell you something. It's not your church. It's his church, right? And and for those of you who are parents, they're his kids, 
For those of you who are looking at a spouse that is just, just not doing well at all, that's his husband. That's his wife. Those of you who are dealing with elderly parents who are struggling and, and you're not sure how you're going to meet their needs, those are his parents. See, once you disassociate yourself with the belongings and you associate yourself with the God of the belongings, it changes everything. And so in this parable, he's talking to us about a mindset. And he's saying, you got to change your mind about the way you think. Stewardship means joy. He says to these good stewards, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Guys, the enemy wants to tell us, hold on to your stuff. Hold on to your stuff. Don't let God take your stuff. And God says, do you understand that I'm trying to fill your hands with joy, but you're too busy gripping on to garbage? I'm trying to fill your life with joy. Enter into the joy of your master. The first two men were stewards. They were in it for the glory of their master. The third man was not a steward. He did everything he did for himself. The first two were were ruled by the master. The third one was ruled by fear and doubt. So let's wrap it up. How do you know if you're a good steward? Ask yourself some questions. That's going to be the the application over and over again on this series. I am not going to tell you, do this with your money, do that with your money, do this with your money. I'm going to just give you questions to ask yourself in light of what you know from Scripture. Here's a question. When it comes to material resources, do you compromise to get more and protect what you already have? Or do you make sure that you handle God's stuff the way God would handle God's stuff? How about this? Do you use resources as a way to make people impressed with you? Or do you see resources as a way to make people impressed with God? Do you love things and use people? Or do you love people and use things? You look forward to the day of reckoning when you get to stand before Jesus and give an account? Or do you live in fear of it? I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I bet to some degree every one of us could use a little repentance when it comes to this issue of stewardship. That every one of us has fallen a little bit short at least of God's standard for our lives as stewards. But I have good news. The scripture says there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So repentance is a good thing. So here's how we're going to end this today. We're going to get as practical as I know how. I'm going to just give you some time to pray. Just privately, silently. You and God. So close your Bibles, close your notes, put your iPads away. We're just going to take a minute or two and we're just going to bow our heads before a holy God and we're going to let him speak to us because maybe last week or something that was said this week reminds you that, that your heart has gotten a little entangled with the things of this world and you need to talk to God about that. Maybe you've realized I've had the wrong mindset about this all along. I, I've, I hardly ever think of what will God want me to do when I think of how to use my resources. And maybe you need to talk to God about that. I don't know what the Lord's putting on your heart, but I want to give you a minute to just talk to him about it, okay? So just wherever you are, bow your head, close your eyes.
and just in your own words, silently, have a time of personal repentance. Lord, as you take a moment to examine our hearts individually, stir in our minds some thoughts about what it would look like for us to live as real stewards. I pray, God, that um, we would be able to receive the forgiveness that you offer in Christ, that we would not be overwhelmed by a sense of um, failure but that we would take the burden of trying to do the right thing that we so often fail at, and we would give that to you and exchange it for your yoke, which is easy, and your burden, which is light. I pray, God, that we would be in total peace with the idea that everything belongs to you because that's the truth. So help us to live in reality instead of pretending that it's different than it is. And Father, as we do, may you receive all the glory and may we be blessed with the abundant joy that you offer your stewards. For we ask it in Jesus' name.